everyone. Welcome back to the Innovators Mindset Podcast. I am pumped to have my good friend, Dr. Jody Carrington. She lives about two blocks away from me, it feels like. So we're just down the road in Alberta, probably more like two hours. Uh, absolutely amazing educator. One of the things I've been really appreciative of uh, Jody doing right now is the way that when all this pandemic stuff happened, she immediately started building this massive community. She already had, uh, was building it already, but really bringing people together and kind of walking them through some ways to uh, connect and to really help themselves so that they can help kids. And I've been watching that. It's been really incredible to see. And I'm really pumped. We're going to talk about her book, Kids These Days, which full disclosure, we have uh, published on with the Impress platform, but she actually self-publishes years ago. But we want to make sure that we connect it with as many educators as possible because it's a really powerful book. Jody, thank you for being here today. And also, um, I'm really excited to, to chat with you and hear some of your ideas. We talked for about 20 minutes before, but um, those are behind the scenes. We, I don't know if we're going to post that or not. But Jody, thanks for being here today. Mr. George Kuros, can I tell you? This is like on my bucket list to be on your podcast. Now it's taken you a year to ask me to be here, but no. I am just, I'm honored and privileged to be in your presence, sir. And I cannot wait to talk some, some educator magic today. Well, actually, I haven't even, I actually haven't been doing this a year. We okay, let's not about it. Move on. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> we wanted, I, we, we've been waiting for Jody. To, uh, we've had to like to republish the book. We've gone through some hurdles. So we wanted to make sure uh, this is all done. But Jody and I talk all the time, right? Yes. So it's basically personal podcasts every time we chat. It is so good. And I'm so, I'm so thankful that Impress has the book now, George. I think I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Um, and, you know, we, we're already talking our second book, Teachers These Days. Uh, and you've been a huge force and support to Lori and I as we get that sorted out too. So, yes, many things exciting happening for us. Yeah. And so Jody, just to start off, can you tell, so you're actually not an educator and most, and I think actually everyone that I've done on the podcast is an educator, but you actually work a lot in the education field. And one thing that I really appreciate about you talk a lot about trauma, you talk a lot about grief and a lot of the pushback when people talk about trauma is like in education. And I totally understand why it's like, Hey, you're actually not a doctor. This isn't things that you should be talking about but you're actually a psychologist, correct? Yeah. And so can you just tell a little bit about, you know, kind of your journey to where you're at right now and then also how you started really kind of connecting with educators? Yeah, I'd love to. I think I often tell people this, I'm a child psychologist and I'm not a huge fan of kids. Uh, I, I love my own. I have three, I have a set of twins and uh, a nine-year-old. And um, I have always been inspired and amazed by educators. It was grade 10. I think a, it was my teacher who changed my life. And um, I, when I got into the field of psychology, I really wanted to do stuff with um, motivation, sports psychology. Um, I've always played hockey my whole life. And when I did my undergraduate degree, I did an externship with the RCMP, which is our national police force uh, up here in Canada. And I started to really learn a lot about trauma and how if you don't talk about hard things, they can really mess you up. And so I went on and got a master's and a PhD with a huge focus in police psychology. And when I did my residency in Nova Scotia, uh, on the east coast of Canada, I uh, they made me do a rotation with kids, and they said you have to do a rotation. I said I don't like kids. Stop trying to make me like the kids, and they said you're kind of like one. We think you'd be a good fit, and I was like, touche. 
you are right. And I fell in love. And you educators appreciate this more than anybody on the planet, uh, how kids can change your life. Uh, and when you serve them, they serve you. And uh, I, I fell in love. And so when I came back to Alberta, essentially to find a husband, but I came back to Alberta to uh, my first job was on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids. And so for 10 years, uh, I worked at the Alberta Children's Hospital uh, where I learned the most about kids and trauma. And uh, when we started having our babies, so I was there for about 10 years and then my husband and I uh, are old. So we had lots of babies fast. And uh, we decided to move back to the town he grew up in. And I opened a, a private practice and I consulted on the tough kids. I love the kickers and the hitters and the biters and the ones that tell you, those are my favorites. Those are my babies, like let's dance. And um, I would often have schools who would then consult and say like, okay, Dr. Carrington, we have the kid. Like you, we have never in our 57 years of educational prowess, we have never seen a child like this. And I would say, okay, babe, tell me more. And they would say, oh, he hits and he bites and he spits and he draws bombs and he's got the ADHD. And we've done a little, now we're not professionals, but he meets all the criteria for the psychopath. And I would say, oh my goodness, yes, I am on my way. How old is he? Nine. I'd say, okay. This is very serious. So when I would get there, what would happen, George, all the time is I would see a room of, of devoted educators whose hearts were broken, who had spent time and money and lost sleep over this baby and really are racking their brains. They've got every resource imaginable. The cum file is the size of Texas. On the, They'd bring it, bam, here it is. I'd open it up. There would be 87 IPPs, behavioral support plans. Mm -hmm. There would be four psychoeducational assessments, an SLP, an OLP, an LMNOP, a VITRA, a CITRA, a lot of acronyms. And so OPP. You're all very good with your acronyms. And I would close that file and I would look at these holy workers and I would say, all right, who can tell me his middle name? Is there anybody here who knows what level he's on on Fortnite? Does it, where's his mama? How many siblings this guy got? And these are, see, these people have huge hearts. That's why you get into education. And when I started to talk about that, uh, when this, as soon as this kid got known and seen, the CUME file started to decrease. And so the more I did that, that was my favorite part of my practice was to be able to just provide a sense of connection and empathy to the hardest kids that were ripping apart educators' hearts and teams. And so I started to do that more. And then they said, hey, could you come speak to our school? Hey, you know, our superintendents are gathering, uh, you know, would you be able to just do a keynote for superintendents? And you and I have had this uh, discussion frequently. I am a huge cusser. I grew up uh, in small town Alberta and uh, I pray and I cuss sometimes in the same sentence. And so the world of educators, uh, it, it was really interesting because I show up authentically as who I am. And when I started to talk about these things, um, it, it was surprisingly well received. And I would get feedback and push back and I would say, listen, we're, we're doing hard things. I mean, if it, the, the world of education is such a tough go that you're going to hear hard things, see hard things. And we got to talk about this in a real and authentic way because it's busting our educators apart. And what I instantly became more interested in was not the kids. The kids are not the problem. It is the people who hold them that concern me the most. And we have done a very poor job of looking after educators. In fact, in this country, one in five, sorry, 50%, one in two will quit within the first two years of entering, or first five years of entering your profession. So when you get a degree within the first five years in Canada, you will quit this profession 
And this brought my heart because there's nobody more important in my life. I'm, I mean, as a parent than, than educators, I dropped my babies off before the COVID uh, to teachers, to EAs, uh, to bus drivers, to custodians who spend more waking hours a day with my children than their dad and I do. And they become one of the most important parts of our village. If they're not okay, the people you serve, the kids you serve are not going to be okay. And my leg, my, my hope is that what I, how I can serve this community as a psychologist, because you're right, I'm not an educator. Um, I, I hope that my service to the, to the, to you group of holy people is to really figure out how we start to talk about a language from a relationship focused trauma informed perspective. And that's what kids these days was all about. So, Hey, there's two things I want to talk to you about in, in what you just shared. And I so appreciate the, the, the idea of really getting to know the kids. And one of the things that I've been talking about for a long, long time, and I just want your take on this. One of the things that drives me absolutely crazy is the term data driven. And I have said it is the stupidest term in education. And as you're talking about this in those QM files and actually how they go through, we, we talk about data. And what I've always said is that when we focus so much on data, we actually lose the kids in the process, right? Mm -hmm. And really, mm -hmm. who are the kids in front of us? What are, what are their passions? What are their strengths? What are they excited about? Like, what gets them up in the morning? And so I really talk about learner-driven, evidence-informed practice, right? Know the kids in front of you, and then you use the evidence to support their learning, obviously, through that process. But that has always been something that drives me crazy because it's really easy to paint people with numbers and really kind of organize them in these, but it doesn't actually tell me anything specifically about that kid. So yeah, like the kid is doing really well in school, you know, all the grades, all the things, everything's awesome. But then they're dealing with depression or There's dealing with something. And then, yeah. but Hey, but look, their numbers are good. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not, and I actually, and I know that you like, neither of us are criticizing educators because we know how insanely hard the job is. But when we start m moving those initiatives, I think it's actually pushing people away from what the calling was to get into education was to serve kids, was to help kids become better. Yeah. And I think there's two things that come to mind when you say those things. First of all, when we get scared, we want answers. And the kids that blow apart a, a school uh, the most are not surprises. And, you know, there's typically in any school, if I walked into, I would say as a staff, I would bring your staff together and I would say, give me your top three. Give me your top three who you're worried about, guys. Who's the, who's the top three that splits this team apart, that you're scared of, that you're worried is going to shoot the school, that you're worried is going to hurt themselves. And those top three are not surprises. The reliability and validity of those three kids, they're known, right? And then my question is, what do we know about them? Because when we get scared of kids, right, we want to fix, we want the answers. Oh my gosh, they must be this way because, you know, he's, he's, a, he, he's a manipulative attention-seeking liar. Right. And I hear those things because when we get scared, right, our resources are decreased and we start to try to fix when educators are filled up. When I say, OK, mama, let's go. We're in this together. This baby doesn't have a dad. He's been in care for three years and he has a history of sexual abuse. I have then a group of people, bus drivers, custodians, EAs that are like he, he, he doesn't have a mom. He, he, he doesn't have right. breakfast in the morning. And then all of a sudden, these same people who were scared of this baby are stepping off their bus, walking him into school. The secretary, the administrative assistant is like, hey, good morning, Jackson, with an X. High five. Ooh, what the, how's those Pokemon guys going? And these kids are like, what in the name of Jesus is happening here? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And listen, it, it takes 
relationship knows no hierarchy. Kids do not know the difference between the superintendent, the principal, and the bus driver, nor, the, nor do they care. And when relationship knows no hierarchy, we start to create a group of teachers, right? Not just the teacher. The, the definition of a teacher is anybody who walks you home and, and gives, imparts knowledge, imparts wisdom, imparts caring. For me, some of my biggest teachers are my bus driver. I can tell you Stan Comic drove my bus from kindergarten to grade 12. I went to his funeral. I can tell you, I can tell you exactly where my custodian lived, three doors down from the trailer I grew up in. I knew her. She felt like a grandma to me. I can tell you Holly Nordstrom, grade 10, I can tell you where she was standing when she told us that Neil Rosession, one of the most popular kids in our class, was killed. I know what she was wearing. I know what she smells like. Uh, wild musk from uh, the IDA and Viking. And I cannot tell you. I cannot. I can sit here. I cannot tell you what she taught me. I have no idea the literacy and the numeracy. I have no idea what that woman taught me. I feel like it might've been social 20. I feel like it might've been language arts. I have no clue, but I can tell you how she made me feel. And she made me feel important. She made me believe that I could make a difference in this world. And she inspired me to be a psychologist based on, the, based on how she handled telling us about the death of our classmate. End of story. Yeah, and th those, those relationships, you know, as, a, as a, in the role of principal, I remember constantly I would welcome kids every morning, welcome staff every morning. And one of the things that was really important to me, and I know that you talk about this all the time, I would spend recess with kids because that connection they had, because sometimes they actually know who the principal is because the principal is a person they never talked to, right? And that I, that's, I didn't want to be that person. And yeah. so I wanted to make sure that I was connecting because when a kid is sent to the office for whatever reason, the worst way I could start a conversation is, what's your name again? right? Oh. Like going through that. And yes. I was going through that. So like, I wanted, I wanted them to have this connection with me. And it, I don't know, I don't know if this is a good practice. And you're, you know, you're the doctor here, but I wanted them to have a connection with me that if something happened, they were like, Oh, geez, Karos is so disappointed in me as opposed to like, he's always mad. Right. Yes. And I, actually, I don't, I'm going to actually ask you about this. So this there's, I know this for both of us, Probably the one thing we both got hammered for in school is now what we get paid to do for a living is speak. Like, like you talk too much. Well, actually, yeah. I'm, I'm good at it. So yeah, you are good. Like at what it. you complained about, I'm actually doing okay. Yeah, you're welcome. But I, I remember one, I remember this one kid and he had this, he could like go, he could figure out like what bothered you and he like could figure it out. And then he would like just get on your skin about it. And he could do that with anybody. And I'm like, there's a skill there. Oh. Like, there's, there's some skill there. And I remember, so he was, the, the teacher came to me and said, this kid is driving me crazy. He, like he is disrupting. He's bothering everybody. Nobody can concentrate. And he actually, so I'm like, I got him. Send him to me, right? And I'm going to actually ask you if you think this is a good practice. Maybe this is terrible what I did. <laughs> so he actually came to the office. I'm like, hey, just do your work right there. Like, we're just going to sit here for a while. And I got to do some work. So you just sit there, right? So never even talked about it. Never said anything about it. Beautiful. And he's sitting at my desk. And I'm like, hey, I, I'm just going to play a little bit of music because it helps me to kind of just concentrate. So I like Googled like polka music. And I played it and it was like the most, and he's like, Kuros, this sucks. I'm like, what? This is good. And so I just turn it up and I'm like, he's like, Kid, this is driving me nuts. I'm like, oh, I'm telling you, this is like the best 
Like if you do not like polka, there's something wrong with you, right? And, and so he, he was just like going nuts. And he's like, let me go back to class. I'm like, do you know this feeling you have right now? This is what you're doing to other people, right? And I knew him well enough that I could get to him with that sense of humor. Beautiful. And he never disrupted the class again. Because he's, oh. And I said, if you disrupt again, we're, yeah. it's going to be polka party and you're not going back to class. It's just going to be <laughs> music all day. And like he, like he walked out of there smiling and he didn't disrupt. And the, kid, the teacher's like, what? What happened there? I'm like, I know, like I am that kid or I could get under your skin. So he yeah. just needed a little taste of it, but in a loving way. Like I, I didn't, because it's easy, he's going to get yelled at. Because you know what? He's used to getting yelled at. It does nothing for him. It, it doesn't, he doesn't get mad. Yeah. Or he, and he actually thrives off it. But if yeah. you can joke back, if you could throw it back a little bit, and he was good, right? Because he kind of understood, like, he knew I knew who he was. And he knew that I was that kid. So I don't know, is that like, is that a horrible thing I just did? Or was that actually helpful to that kid? Like, Brilliant. he was good after that, right? So the only thing that kids want to know is that they matter, is that they're seen, right? And that they're understood. And you understood this kid. What he expected is for you to come in and, and, chastise him or shame him or identify what he did wrong. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, our babies know what they did wrong, right? When we say like, use your words, that's a bad choice. And we say, that's a bad choice. They know it. <laughs> we got to figure out why, right? Yeah. And so when he just said, come on in, dude, probably what he needed was a break. Probably what he needed was somebody just to give him some space. And you laughed with him. You relaxed his shoulders. You put his prefrontal cortex back on. And then this kid, all of a sudden, he wanted to be around you a little more, see? Because we, we like to be around people who make us feel good. It feels like kind of like sunshine. Mm -hmm. And when you can make me laugh, I kind of want to just walk by your office a little more. I kind of want to maybe just poke you a little bit. I just want to. And it's like, you're kind of like, God, why is this kid responding now? Like, geez, he's driving me nuts. Because anytime he doesn't know how to ask for it, he doesn't know how to say, Mr. Kuros or, you know, Miss Jody, can we do these things together? He's sort of like, hey. And you're like, oh, inappropriate. <laughs> right. But then he's got you. Right. And so you did this beautiful thing of saying, like, come on, I know you. You're me. I get this. Sit down. Let's do like polka is going to get you. I'm surprised you didn't pick any Greek, like smashing things. That would have been even <laughs> Well, but, they, they, I, but, but I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. And, there's, and this is the beautiful thing. There's no right, right way to do this. If your heart is to get these kids to relax and regulate and feel like they're seen instead of bust their souls, you're going to get them anyway, right? You're going to do it. And some of them have this kid. I'm surprised it took one shot, right? Many times it's going to have to do 87 polka parties. Right. Be like, Come on back in, right? But this guy, you saw him, you made him laugh. And I'm sure every time he walked by the office, the polka is still your joke. If you texted him tomorrow, hashtag polka party, he'd be like, oh, come on, girl. <laughs> well, like, the, like the, the strategy, this is like for anyone listening, I'm not saying, hey, if a kid disrupts, polka. That's not the strategy. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying at all. But the, but the idea, I knew the kid and I made time. And I'm like, okay, how do I actually get this kid to understand what's going on right now? And like, I had a relationship with him and yeah. he was, he was, to be honest with you, he was used to people yelling at him. He was used to that process. Right. And I would kind of go through this and I actually, so when I would interview for teachers, I'd ask this question and I'd always debate the answer just to see where you stood. Cause I, I had what, what I wanted for the answer. And I would say this, okay, so there's two kids on the same day, same grade, 
none of them have ever had an issue. Okay. But they both initiated fights. Is their consequence the same? And so sometimes teachers say, well, yeah, it has to be because that's only fair. And if they say that, I'll say, okay, one of their dads just died. Now what? Right. And so that to me, it's like, there's more to the story than they did this. Right. And so like, I have to figure out like what to do. And even like, I know people talk about suspensions. You shouldn't do them. Sometimes I would, but sometimes I would do them. Like I remember one kid specifically, I suspended five days in school and in school was in my office for five days because that kid needed to know an adult would not leave that kid. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And so, but I had, but it was always okay. Like what will best help this kid grow through this process, but knowing and, and what you talk about that connection is so crucial. So I, I hate when it's just like, if you do A, you'll get B. Cause it's then it's just like taking away the relationship, the connection. Right. And I think the underlying message that both you and I talk about a lot of is there's, there's sort of 50,000 ways to get to Sunday, but it's the underlying philosophy that will work every single time. The hill that I will die on is it is about relationship and connection yep. first. And when I say this thing about like, I mean, now that you mentioned suspensions, I say this quite often, suspensions are a pipeline to prison. And why I say that right out of the gate is because it gets so much connection right away. They're like, what? Here's the thing. You, suspension in and of itself will never teach a message. Will never ever. You know, before we used to be able to think if I suspended you, the worst thing that will happen is you were you'll have disappointed an educator. You'll go home to a group of people who will then make sure the lesson is is heard. What happens now is when we when we suspend, um, if, if you need to suspend to be able to keep the system safe, if you need to make a decision about how mm -hmm. to keep kids and families safe, then that's that's it. Reentry is the most critical aspect of suspension. What is the plan for when this baby gets back? Who's staying connected when he's not there? And how are we holding the rest of the kids who are connected to him? That is what the, that's where the lesson's going to be. Not in sitting away from school for three days. In fact, that's, that's where the damage happens. Mm -hmm. It is in the ranty. And I often hear people say like, oh my God, the kid came to school and he's taunting us. He's standing outside the perimeter of the school on, with his toes on the line. And people are like, you know what? It's maybe because he gets free Wi-Fi. No, 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 baby girl. It's because he's connected to that yeah. place. And so how do we then go out and meet him at the perimeter and say, babe, we miss you so much. And you'd be like, and I'll be like, you know what? I really do. I can't wait for you to be back. Mm -hmm. These guys can't either. So when you come back tomorrow, here's what we're doing. And then we're going to talk about what happened. It is not, everything isn't forgiven. If you've done something that is against policy and procedure and it's not a good choice, got it. Mm -hmm. It's not if I'm going to talk about it, it's when. It's how. Well, I think that, I think for the, that when we would do that, this was not a school. It was not like a, a principal decision. It wasn't a school decision. It was like, a, it was like when we actually worked with the parents and had conversations, like, what is the, what's the best process for this kid right now? Yeah. And like, I feel like I'm, I, like, I wish that when I was a principal, I'd be like, Hey, what do you think of what I just did there? Right. Like a part of that too. So I'm kind of going through some of the yeah. stuff I do. So when we actually have students come back to school, when they would come back and they have to see me first as a principal. Right. And this is actually this, a vice principal. Cause I was actually in charge of discipline while I was vice principal as well. And I actually love doing it so much that usually in many schools, it's the vice principal who does it, but I'm like, no, 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 this is, this is where I ex excel. The kid would always come back and I would make sure that our conversation was the first thing had nothing to do with why they left. It was actually just like connecting with them and talking about something else. 
to make sure they're valued, right? And even like when I, I remember when we had, uh, like my secretary gave me one of the best pieces of advice. And you know, I know Jody you and I both talk about this, like everyone in a, like I always say this, I don't care what your job is in the school. Your first job is to help kids. Everything else is secondary. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if custodian, you know, a support staff superintendent. And I remember my secretary who gave me the best piece of advice and, you know, I'm young in my career, don't have a family. When I would call home to parents, she say, I understand you're about to like destroy a person's world because like the kid is everything to that, you know, to the family there. And so make sure they know you love your kid. So I would say like, hey, just so you know, your, your kid is in the office today. And, and I, I guarantee you, and I made sure that I had built relationships with the parents. I know you and you know me, we both got in trouble stuff for stuff too. But I wanna tell you this, your child just told me everything and he could have easily lied. And so like, we gotta look for this good stuff. And yeah, you did something wrong, he took, he took ownership for it. But the, for, for me, I wanted to make sure that the parent knew that I value their child even when something had gone wrong, right? Oh. And, I, and I, went out of my, I went out of my way to build relationships so that the first call wasn't that call either, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that to me, because I know that families, when they're going through this too, my policy was if a kid shows up in my office, good, bad, I'm calling home because I don't want the kid to say, oh, I was in the office today. And it was like, what? And then you have anxiety and stress. Like, why were they in the office? I can't get a hold of. But it was always like, your, your kid did something wrong today, but just know I value them. And just remember, we both did stupid stuff too. And we're both turned out okay. Right? And so, and like I would do, I would actually have the conversation with the parent and the kid 99% of the time. Sometimes obviously you got to do confidential stuff. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you actually, when you're working with parents, you know, in those situations, what are some of the like things that you'd suggest for educators as they're kind of going through when kids do make those inevitable mistakes, which are part of growing? Oh my goodness. And I think that's, you know, I, I'm so glad you asked about that because I think that's part of the issue that we don't nearly talk about enough. Educators have so much on their plates and I always feel guilty, you know, when I stand up and sort of as a child psychologist, try to sort of bring the connection back to parents. Cause I'm like, in addition to all the other, the curriculum and the volunteering and all this coaching and other things we were asking of you, by the way, could you just connect to parents? But I will tell you, um, here's the thing, and I think it's your biggest calling card. Um, And I'll tell you this as a parent, um, and many of you who teach our parents as well, um, there is not a single parent. I've I've assessed and treated over a thousand kids in this country, and I've never not one time met a bad kid. I have also not ever not one time met a parent who wasn't doing the best they could with what they had. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've never met a parent who's dropped a baby off to me and didn't, it wasn't their whole world. And it always helps me to remember that. And, and even the parents who look like they have it the most together, you know, the parents, we often talk about the ones who, you know, only have a wiener in the lunch or they forget the winter coat or all of those things. Very few people call parents to say, I just want to tell you about your kid. I just want to say thanks for giving him to me today. Can I tell you about this thing that he did? And it struck me so much because Aaron and I went to teacher parenting interviews with our twins and we have boy girl twins. One's going to jail and one is probably going to like save the world. And so um, I'm often concerned when Olivia, I asked Jesus specifically for a girl and Jesus said, buckle up. And so when we go into parent teacher interviews, I expect out of, you know, Evan, Evan's sweet and he's kind and he's done all these things and they always want to start with Olivia. And so 
this particular teacher's conference, Erin uh, and I sat together and I was like, hey, let's be prepared. We're going to talk about her like she's a leader, like she's, she's going to be strong someday. And this uh, Miss Parker opened with, can we start with Olivia? And I was like, mm-hmm. And I had my charts. I, had, I wrote a book about kids these days. I don't know if you know about it, but I was going to give her a signed copy because she obviously was going to need some help. And she said to me, I just need to tell you uh, that I'm so impressed with your daughter. And, and she has come so incredibly, she is such a phenomenal, she has such a phenomenal sense of humor. And I just, I feel proud to be her teacher. And can I just tell you that in that moment, I wanted to make out with Miss Parker. And I, I wanted, I, I was so like, I would have bought that woman a whiteboard and a car. Like I was just like, oh, what? and like everything thereafter that she said about the things that I needed to do to assist my daughter. I was like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I know. I just, I'm sorry that she's like this sometimes, but like, and she's like, no, 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 you're not. Don't be sorry that she's, she is powerful and she's got a voice and we're so excited to have her in our classroom and I was like what what and it was just the thing that you know even I can imagine you know I often tell the story when I'm on stage right Earl who's dropped off his kid at your school has never set foot right we're now into February he's never set foot in your school and you call him and he avoids all your calls you finally get through to him one day and you say hey it's Mr. C yeah I know who you are what I just want to tell you, I got Jackson. I'm his teacher. I get him most of the day. He's one of the funniest kids I know. Does, does he get a sense of humor from you, Dad? I just wanted to, to check in with you today. Uh, sorry, what? <laughs> right? And then what happens when that baby go, boy goes home that night? Earl is waiting at the door, first time in this kid's career, and he says, Jackson, guess who called me today? Mr. C. Uh-huh. Do you know what he said? You're funny like your old man. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. 20 seconds. You just changed the trajectory of that baby's life. 20 seconds. That's how powerful educators are. That is why I will serve you to the end of my days. Because if I can remind you how powerful you are, you will change the trajectory of children's lives. So the, the, one, the one thing as I'm listening to you speak, because I've always advocated like the first call home to a parent should be positive, right? You build those connections. And the, the age old response to that in a negative way, which is in every profession, I don't know if I have time to do that, yeah. but the way that I actually look at it and what you just said, so I spend one, two minutes talking to parents, telling them how awesome their kid is when something falls off the rails, when there is an issue, instead of me spending hours fighting with this parent. And, you know, we don't have any trust built. We don't have any connection. It's, it can be a 30 second phone call now. And that to me, when I, when I would actually go out and spend the mornings with our students, spend the morning knowing them, it was actually not, it was, it was just being thoughtful of how I invest my time so that later I will save time actually not going through the process. And that's one thing I always try to connect to. Can I read you this quote? Because I have it right by my, by my desk. I think about it all the time as a leader, but I think anybody's a leader, an EA, a secretary, a bus yep. driver. Leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behavior. When you collect in the beginning, you gather so much. I'll read it again. Leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings 
or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behavior. That's Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. Isn't like when I saw that, George, I was like, ah, men, so much of the work of leadership and, and is, is holding like useless. You don't have as not you, too much staples. Oh, friend, you don't want to go on supervision today. I know it's very hard. And we get exhausted because we have three kids who are going to be suspended and one's got a gun in his locker. That's what I got on my plate. But perception is a function of experience. When I got a tired mama who's trying to balance her three kids, she's got a classroom of 40 kids. And she says to me, George, I cannot take another soup. Can you please change my, like, I am exhausted. And you're like, okay, cool. But I, stop whining mm -hmm. about, right? And so how can I, leaders, the strongest leaders I know, hold space for all of that emotion, the fears, the feelings. And when I think about us stepping back into the classroom post-COVID, that is going to be the most significant piece we need to do before we step into literacy and numeracy again is holding space for the fears, the feelings. Parents are going to feel like, feel like their kids are so far behind. Kids are going to feel like, what if we don't? Other kids are going to be like, you know, I like this better at home. This is, I got to come to school now that it, okay. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. Tell me more. Because what we're going to try to do is like, Hey, at least you got to school. Hey, don't be disrespectful. Hey, you're going to be fine. How do we hold space? so that we don't have to spend a lot of time on the other end, just exhausted with all the yes buts. And as I'm listening to you, like I, I, I hope that when I'm sharing with you, like you appreciate the way that I built relationships in my role. Like I, I bet you're like, hey, this is the thing. But that's actually a, a behavior you could learn over time, right? So I remember my, my, when I was teaching, I remember being very frustrated with, doing supervision one day. And I was just like, God, I have a million things to do. I hate doing supervision. It sucks. I remember my principal at the time saying, you understand, like, I know you, you're not a big fan of doing this, but this is a really great opportunity to connect with kids that you don't actually teach right now and to build some of those connections that are really important. And so like a lot of the stuff that I talk about today, this wasn't just like, I just, Hey, this is what I believe walking in. Oh, I remember oh, that was... Wow. That was a distinct moment for me. And I, I actually changed the way that I perceived that time. And then I found like, hey, this is way, way more valuable in the work that I'm actually doing right now. And it's really helping me. And so I cool. think that people listening to this understand that, you know, it's, I think sometimes you get frustrated and say, well, like this person, we can't really teach relationships. But I think in some ways, you probably can. Um, there, there is um, something that you, you mentioned earlier, and I just want to get your thoughts on this. There there is this quote that I read and I, I cannot remember where I saw it and I'm not going to say it right, but, and I'm sure you've seen this is that basically the quote was something along the lines of we have a bunch of mental health strategies to help our teachers or, you know, people in organizations. I think it was actually not about teachers specifically uh, to actually fix the problem that we created by the way that we do our work. So we talk about like, hey, you know what? I know we're overworking you. I know we're, you know, it's like all this stuff that we're piling on you. I know we're doing too many initiatives, but there's like 30 minutes of yoga we have planned for everybody after, right? Like it's that thing. Like, do you know what I mean, right? And, and I, I really, that really resonated with me because a lot of the mental health struggles that educators feel, I feel that we're trying to, actually 
give them a band-aid as opposed to like actually address the root of the problem. Yes. And I think the other thing that I think we really need to, to think about, particularly, you know, as we watch in our province, George, you know, this, how our EAs uh, have just in light of this COVID, how the response has been, you know, deeming them non-essential. Um, so much of this, you know, Mike Babcock is one of my uh, favorite NHL coaches, despite the fact that, you know, he's under fire at the moment, but he said this, you should see how fast I can get a kid to skate when I know the name of his dog. Mm-hmm. And what I love so much about that is when you appreciate how hard this job is, when you acknowledge and see people, when you do that, they will do incredible things for you. They will skate through walls. They will show up early. They will stay late. They will volunteer. They will do everything. As long as we hold each other through this process. You know, when I give you credit, when I, when I talk to, you know, educators and be like, do you know how important you are? Do you know how much lives you've changed? You just showing up, mama, has changed the way kids and families operate. You, you're doing holy work. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, then the capacity to keep going, the capacity to sort of be, feel like they're valued, man, we do anything for that, right? And so much of the answer in this process is, how do we start to look after each other? And the more, the sicker we become, the more disconnected we become, mm-hmm. the more egocentric we become, which means we focus inside. We lose the capacity for dual awareness. We lose the capacity for empathy, compassion, kindness. We get I, 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 it's all happening to me. Everybody beaten up on me. This is unfair. Administration doesn't see me, blah, 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 blah. The healthiest souls see that, feel that, drop their shoulders and say, how can I serve? It is that switch and dual awareness that's the heart of all mental health. And unless I see and acknowledge you, you do not have the capacity to switch back into that role of dual awareness. Does that make sense? Yeah, and like the, uh, Patrick Larkin, he's a good friend of mine. He's in the Boston area. And he actually wrote this post at the beginning of all this COVID stuff. And I thought it was really fascinating. It almost seemed selfish at first. He said, what are you grateful for that this time is providing you? That the, you know this thing is happening. And I'm like, what are you talking about? People are like dying. People are like, this is horrible. And then I actually started thinking about the stuff that I'm grateful for and, you know, being home with my daughter in a way that I have not been had a chance to. And what that actually helped me do is to stop focusing on what's, what I'm, what's bad for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it helped me. It actually helped me to find gratitude in really tough situations, it actually helped me help other people, right? And I thought that was really helpful. Um, One of the things, when we first met, I actually came to see you speak, and and we were actually just gonna meet, but I actually, because I speak for a living, and that's one of the things I do, I love seeing other speakers speak, because that's how you get better, right? And so I really loved um, what you were sharing, and there is a quote, and, this is actually like, this is Jody's book, Kids These Days, and really powerful stuff, really, and it's not for just only educators, right? It's for parents, you know, people that connect with kids is really powerful, but there's one thing that you said in that keynote that I know is in this book, and it really resonated with me. I remember sharing it out, and it didn't just resonate with me, it resonated with a ton of people. And you talk about kind of shifting perspective when we see kids as attention seeking to connection seeking. And, and so tell us more about that, that concept, which seems really simple, but I think is really powerful. 
Yeah, I think every time we use, uh, we say this term attention seeking, what we're looking for is like this kid is trying to get our attention. He's seeking some, he's doing something bad. Usually attention seeking is usually like they're spitting, they're hitting, uh, they're calling names. He's so attention seeking. He's always at my desk in the morning. He's always got his hand in the air. He's always got to go to the bathroom. He's so attention seeking. And what we started to talk about even back at the children's hospital was what is the meaning behind that behavior? And all behavior has meaning. I have never met a behavior that doesn't have some kind of meaning. And when we unpack it, what we attribute it to often depends, will we'll reflect on how we respond to it. So when we think about this as attention seeking, what happens when we say this kid is trying to get connected to me in the best way she or he knows how? And when I change that from attention seeking to connection seeking, how does that allow me to show up? How does that allow me to remember what my job is in this, you know, as, as I'm exhausted and they're doing one more thing that makes me want to, you know, jump over the deep end. This process of every time you consider some kid as attention seeking, replace it with connection seeking and just notice, just notice how you show up for that babe. And part of my biggest hope, your biggest hope is, is that we have educators who believe that they can make a difference in this world. And if that allows them, and you know, you and I talked about this, when you highlighted that quote, it was amazing to me that that resonated so well with so many people because so much of kids these days, I just wrote and the response to it has blown me away. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I've heard Sumon kid this morning, I was listening to a podcast from her and she was saying, you know, I just wrote from my heart and it's so amazing to me sometimes. In fact, it blows me away when people respond or certain things I say resonate. And that is one of the things that I've said my whole career. And it was shocking to me mm -hmm. that that went like that. And because of you, then Edutopia took it and you know, you there's, know. A, there's actually a good video. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you should definitely watch it. It's called, it's like two and a half minutes long. It's by Derek Sivers. It's called Obvious to You, Amazing to Others. And it oh. talks about the ideas, the things that are just the norm to you, but when they're actually exposed to other people, there's something they've never thought of and they connect. And so I actually use that video all the time because I, I try really to speak from my heart and share ideas and a lot of people say well I have nothing of value to share and I'm like well first of all if I was interviewing you for a job you would never say I have nothing of value you would never say that it's yeah. almost like it's an excuse why you shouldn't be sharing your stuff but there's things that you do in your practice right now that will blow other people away that you don't even think twice about and so I mean, that's one of, is one of the things I love about that video one of, one of the things I <laughs> I thought about as you're speaking was when I was in school because there were certain subjects where if you did not connect with me, I was going to be a terror for you. And the reason I'd be a terror for you in certain subjects is because I, I struggled academically in those areas. So for example, if I was doing drama, you know, any humanities, no problem. Science though, if you did not connect with me, and I actually remember the one time I actually was sent to a side room in the library. And I don't know if you remember those paper reinforcements. Yeah. Those, right. So I actually took them all, I took like the little holes and I put them all over my face and pretended I have like paper reinforcement chicken pox. And my teacher came in there and I'm like, oh, I'm sick, I'm getting these spots. And he like, it's not like he fell for it. And he thought, and then he actually took me outside and he like said, look at George right now, look at what he's doing. And I'm like, you're doing exactly, what I want you to do. I'm getting all of this attention from my friends who think I'm a legend right now. And then, yeah. and then you're going to kick me out of class. So you're saying, Hey, I'm going to give this kid all this attention that he wants. 
And then I would actually not make him do science. I'm like, yeah, this is the best, right? Done. And then actually, Win. yeah. And, and then, and, but the classes, but I remember specifically some of those same courses that I still struggled academically. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't a problem because the teacher made effort to connect with me and it oh. wasn't like, you know, and, and like not only did that benefit me, but it benefited all the other kids Everybody around else. me. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think that's something that we actually really talk about because there's a lot of, I, I specifically, I can't speak for kids, but I know, I'm sure you've seen this. There are many kids who would rather they think you're funny than stupid. Yeah. Right? And it's like, that's, so I'm like, because now if you kick me out of class, then it's like, well, I couldn't get to do the science because I wasn't in class, but everyone thinks I'm a legend now, right? Yeah. The, the one thing before we go, and I've been thinking a lot about this, and I know that you're, this is your expertise. We have, a, I don't know if the terminology is correct. And if it's very, it's obviously gonna be varying degrees. But when we go back to school, I think there's going to be varying degrees of trauma for not only students, but obviously adults and, and how this time impacted them. And it's like, everyone's going through this. Right. And obviously we're all dealing with it in different ways. Uh, we're all dealing with different situations right now. So how, as, as we re-enter the classrooms and I don't like it may, and maybe correct my terminology, right? Like, I don't know if it's like mild trauma to like more severe. I don't, I don't know if this is the right terminology, but I, I want to take advantage of having you on to ask this question. What is the most important thing you see is when we return to the classrooms, you know, whenever that may be. Yeah. And, and yeah. maybe even right now too, like when we're not in classrooms, how, like what are some of your strategies that can really best help educators? Well, I think, well, you know, I think what's really important real quick is just really this idea that we got to feel the emotions. And even while we're out of the classroom, I mean, there's so many things that, that are, you know, our grade, our grade 12 kids are just grieving the loss of not being able to have the graduation that they dreamed of. You know, there's so many educators that, you know, walk into an empty classroom and just are gutted by it. And I think we just need to feel it because what we really want to do way too quick often is to fix it. And we want to say things like at least this, at least that. If you hear yourself saying at least anytime soon, you really got to shut up because we need to hold space for that emotion um, and perception is a function of experience and so our great tours that don't get to see their friends that emotion is as big for somebody who's married to a nurse who is facing death literally every single day and I think when we step back into the classroom what I really want us to think about if we're going to prevent mental health issues more down the road um, is to just make some space for how hard this was for so many people. Mm -hmm. And we're going to want to jump back into the literacy and numeracy and the things that are predictable, which is curriculum. But I mean, if I ran the world, I would make a huge statement around the fact that I don't want you to think about any performance-based stuff until October. I want you to really hold space for emotion and joy and how do we get us back into this routine because so many babies are going to be, you know, they're, they're full of, of, of houses with parents who feel so scared at being able to teach because I, I get the calls in my practice all the time. Listen, I didn't even make it out of high school. How am I supposed to teach grade seven math? 
-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of yelling. There's going to be a lot of dysregulation. There's going to be a lot of trying to get 17 year olds out of bed to get their online things submitted. Um, and there's going to be a lot of dysregulation. And so when we get back into that safe space that we really want to create school to be is I just want you to hold space and that's it. That's all. The expectations are really minimal and we will get back there. You cannot teach a kid who's dysregulated. You cannot teach a kid who's in trauma. So we have to hold space for it first before we can get really effective again. And that's, that to me, and as we close up, this, this podcast is about innovation. And a lot of people will say, okay, what? Like, so you're having someone talk about trauma, you know, relationships, connection, in both of my books, I have chapters totally specifically focused on the importance of relationships because yeah, if you actually want to do, if you want to do innovation, that means you have to take risks. You have to try different things. But if I actually don't feel safe, if I actually don't feel connected, then those things don't actually happen. And so I have always talked about how relationships are really the core of innovative teaching and learning. And so a lot of the things that you're talking about today, Jody, really resonate in this work because it's not... Because I, I really get bothered when it's like, oh, this is like fluffy stuff, right? Like, this is all like fluffy. Like, this is what school is about. I'm like, well, school is about actually ensuring that every kid has an opportunity to be successful in a way that's meaningful to them, right? Which I think we often define what success means for others. But to do that, you actually have to really build relationships. You have to build those connections. Kids have to feel that, that if you're going to push them, they also know that you got their back. And I think that's the adults too, and all of that. So Jody, thank yeah. you so much for being here today. You got to check out kids these days. Uh, actually, while I have you on, teachers these days, tell, tell a little bit about that, because that's coming out next year. Yes. And I know this is a long way away, but kids these days, they're, they're all connected. Talk a little bit about teachers these days coming up. Okay, I'll tell you real quick. So, so Kids These Days is really the philosophical underpinnings to what you and I talked about a long time ago. When you, you saw me speak about Kids These Days, you're like, okay, you know what I think would be really cool is if you gave a real sort of strategy-based uh, take on teachers these days. What do you do? How does Kids These Days show up in the classroom? And I was like, what? We need more specific strategies? Like you teachers need specific strategies? And you, were say, you said to me, uh, yes. And I was like, okay. Yeah. He said, do you know any teachers, any good teachers uh, who you could write a book with? And I said, oh my goodness, I know a million of them. And uh, who rose to the top right away was a, a woman named Lori McIntosh, who uh, is one of the most phenomenal teachers I've ever met. And so I asked her to co-write it with me. We just put a call out to educators to give us their stories about what it looks like in the classroom. We're two white women in Alberta. And so we really want the perspectives from all over the planet. And we've got, I think we put this call out on Sunday. We have 300 stories. That's awesome. Submitted uh, from bus drivers to custodians uh, to superintendents, um, just about things like how does relationship show up in your classroom? How have you walked kids home through trauma? Uh, what are the mistakes you've made and how have you repaired it? And we really want to infuse the, the theory behind kids these days with specific strategies and stories about how that shows up in the classroom. Because as you know, I'm not an educator and Lori has, has been an educator, but in a very specific way. And so taking everybody's perspective to the best of our capacity and infusing it in that book that we hope, you know, to create a community where everybody can continue to jump off from um, is just, I'm, I'm just so excited about it. Well, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited about this, but make sure you check out kids these days. Awesome. Awesome book. Uh, you can actually connect with Jody in several places and they're listed in the links. And I want to say you can connect with Jody on TikTok. So I'm going to force her to make a TikTok. Ah! Account. 
because I, I would love to, I would love to actually see, you know, like you just doing minute talks on this stuff. I, I think it'd be super helpful. So I'm going to like pressure you. So this is coming out in a week. So you got a week to make your TikTok. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm yeah. on it. Thanks for, thanks for being here today, Jody. Thank, Thank you for all those listen. Make sure you connect with Jody in all the spaces. You will be so much better for it. Thanks for listening today. Oh, 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 oh,